0: Hey, guys, it's Abdul for your good friends over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, for the most part, the us will admit it, the holiday seasons are pretty much here. So, might as well go ahead and start your holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, you know, kind of Cremanza shopping, no matter what it is. So, might I recommend our good friends over at Leon Tailoring. Get your girl up on a nice gift certificate for some good clothes over at Leon Tailoring. They get something ready-made, something custom-made, or something tailor-made. No matter what it is, you can find it over at Leon Tailoring. Tell Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy, Abdul sent you. They'll take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, with Mike Braun announced recently that he's running for governor, that means his Senate seat is open, which means some folks in Congress may run for a Senate seat, and some folks in other offices may run for those seats. So here to help us explain exactly what's going on in this giant political jigsaw puzzle, which, by the way, is a thousand pieces and they're all the same color, is our good friend Andy Downs, the, uh, Professor Emeritus of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics. Andy, my friend, how are you doing?
1: I am doing all right. I like the way you described it before we went on air. You said this is like Jenga. This is not a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> it's not dominoes. It's Jenga.
0: Exactly. Now, Jenga is the game. You remember, folks, where you take little bricks and you put them on top of each other, and you got to stop the whole thing from crashing all the way down. So, so my friend, first of all, your thoughts on on, any, on Indiana's political climate? Because it used to be it took forever to have an open seat. Now it seems like we got one every election cycle.
1: Yeah, you know, it really does. And I think part of that might be that there are fewer and fewer people who see Uh, getting elected to an office as a career. Uh, Not that that people have said that's a bad idea or it's inappropriate. It's just they've had other careers. They recognize the need for service to the public. And for some folks, they want to get back into the private sector or retire afterwards and have years of retirement. So I think it's kind of a there's a a bit of a natural flow that's happened here. Uh, And some people would say, wonderful thing. Obviously, the one thing we have to remember is that when people decide to not run for re-election and we have these open seats, we lose potentially institutional knowledge, but we also lose seniority. Uh, We lose the ability, you know, the networks that have been built, uh, and those things do matter when it comes to legislating.
0: Uh, So what are your thoughts on Mike Brown uh, announcing that he's running for governor? I know he talked about it for a while. I know he wasn't happy Uh, in the U.S. Senate. he's always been more of an executive branch uh, type of guy. Uh, Your thoughts?
1: Well, he certainly is more of an executive person. And when you're in the Senate, it's a pretty elite club, but you're only one of 100. And so your ability to say this is how we're going to get things done is incredibly minimized. Even if you're the majority leader, you really don't have the ability to rule the way you do as if you're a CEO. With Mike Braun, we absolutely have somebody who knows what it's like to be a CEO. He knew what it was like to be a legislator. He did that in the state general assembly, then went on to serve in the Senate. I can understand why he would want to get back to being the chief executive. One thing that will probably come as a bit of a disappointment to him, and I'm sure he knows this already, even when you're the governor, you're really not the chief executive because there are all those other elected officials around you. So you're sort of at the top of the hierarchy, but it's not the same as being the CEO of a company.
0: As a, as a, as a, as a longtime political once told me back home in Illinois that the, the governor is the most powerful person in the state when the legislature's not in session.
1: <laughs> I think that's a pretty accurate description.
0: Uh, also, Andy, uh, it's interesting that like I said Mike, uh, Mike Braun decided to run uh, for governor uh, because, obviously, Eric Doden has already uh, announced he's running for governor. Uh, we expect Suzanne Crouch to announce in the next couple of weeks that she's going to be running for governor. Uh, how, how crowded do you think this primary will get? I think it will be
1: a little less crowded now that Braun has gotten in because he brings with him – uh, a, a proven track record for getting elected at the state level on his name, not to discount the position of lieutenant governor, but I'm fairly certain people know the name of the governor better than the lieutenant governor, and they know the name of senators better than the lieutenant governor. So I think that that Mike Braun starts out with probably the best name recognition throughout the state, uh, and, and that matters. He also has uh, national connections that will make it a little bit easier for him to raise money. And everybody has to remember, when it comes to these state offices, there are not really campaign contribution limits on individual contributions. So if somebody wants to write a check for hundred grand, they can, which means his national uh, reputation and network becomes a bit more important in raising those really big dollars. But I do think we're looking at probably a relatively crowded field. Eric Doden's already sitting on about $2 million, last I heard, which is not chump change. Suzanne Crouch has been really active as lieutenant governor going out and about the state. And so she's known in communities by the community leaders, but not necessarily by the voters. She's going to have to start raising a bunch of money. And there could be some other people who, who decide, you know what, I'm going for it. Maybe Todd Rokita will decide instead of being attorney general, he wants to be governor. Or maybe somebody else, Trey Hollingsworth, maybe he'll jump in and say, you know what, I like being a CEO, too. I've been out of office for a couple of years. I'm going for it. It's a. I think it could be a fairly crowded field. The Senate race, I think, is going to be much more crowded now.
0: Uh, now let's talk. Let's change gears and talk about the, the Senate race and get away from Todd Rakita. Uh, no offense to Mr. Rakita. Well, actually, I meant to offend Todd Rakita. So there we go. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, change gears. Talk about the U.S. Senate race because now that uh, Mike Braun isn't running. Uh, for re-election to the U.S. Senate, uh, once again, that 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 political jenga. You know, here's here's the first block. It looks like we're going to have uh, Jim Banks, who's look, who's looking at running, and also Victoria Spartz, and whoever else may decide to run.
1: Yeah, those are the two names that pop up almost immediately. And once again, people who are have proven track records of being elected, but in a region, not throughout the entire state. They both come from sort of the same end of the Republican Party from an ideological perspective. That could mean fracturing that vote, and if someone like Rokita jumps in, then you got a third person who's sort of fracturing that 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 farther out part of the the Republican Party. That opens up the possibility of then somebody who is maybe a bit more moderate, or just you know a touch more moderate, uh, being able to secure instead of 50% of the vote, maybe 35. 40% of the vote and winning just because the rest of the votes fractured so much.
0: And we have, and we have to, and it's important that we remind our audience our listening audience <clears throat> that in a, in an election, uh, Indiana does not, you don't need, you don't need a majority. We need a plurality.
1: Exactly. I you know, pe- people are watching Georgia right now and they're seeing that runoff. No, here you just need the plurality. You just have the most votes. That's it. So if you, if you literally have five people in a race and they're all sort of equally good, Theoretically, someone could win with 21 percent of the vote and everybody else has 19 to 20 percent.
0: And this is why I think, uh, my friend, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, why uh, a, a moderate uh, conservative Republican could probably win the primary. Because if you got, for example, Victoria Sparks and Jim Banks, who are, who are real, really strong you know, conservatives, you know, they kind of split that conservative vote. And same thing with uh, Mike Braun and uh, Eric Doden. They split that vote. That, that leaves a pathway uh, to like sort, of that, sort of that moderate conservative
1: It does. And uh, let's go back to the governor's race for a second. If it is just the three people we've mentioned, Doden, Braun, and Crouch, Crouch could make the argument she's that person, that person who's a little closer to the middle. And she can do it without having to say she is not conservative. She can actually talk about the need to get things done and her experience, quote, getting things done, working with the legislature, et cetera. And that might position her enough that she's able to grab on to what some people might refer to as traditional Republicans or more moderate Republicans and let Braun and Doden fight over the the more conservative end of the spectrum. Having said that, though, we do have to remember a few things. Uh, When Mike Braun was in the legislature, he learned how it works. So he can take that argument away from Suzanne Crouch, if he wishes. And Eric Doden, with his time in economic development, He's able to say, well, wait a minute. I know how to get things done. I know what helps to create jobs here. I'm the one who you should be looking at. That, be- that becomes kind of an interesting race. But from a strictly ideological perspective, I think she can make the argument that would be her. When you start looking at the Senate race, I'll throw this one out there. Let's say you have Banks and Sparks in there. Then suddenly you have, I don't know, his name might be Holcomb. He might actually be a governor right now. He could make an argument that he's that more moderate individual and able to win with that 35 40% of the vote, while the rest of it gets split between more conservative members.
0: And also, too, it was interesting. I was arguing with a colleague of mine earlier today here at the radio station. Who was saying that you know Holcomb raised taxes and he shut down the state. Like yeah, but he also got reelected by a by a very comfortable margin. So he can say that's all past history.
1: It really is. And if if people don't believe it's past in the past, then just take a look at how libertarians did this past election. For a lot of folks, they thought this is the year libertarians. You know, they had that really good showing in 2020. That was a lot of discontented Republicans who were casting a vote against. Holcomb, not necessarily fully with the Libertarian Party, and the Libertarians did not manage to hold on to that going into 2022. They always have a problem that they don't raise really a lot of money and and have the ability to campaign statewide the way the Democrats and the Republicans do. But still, that was a pretty significant fall off for them. And as you pointed out, even with the Libertarian in there, Eric Holcomb had a really good 2020 uh, and, and it's kind of hard to argue with the outcomes here in Indiana. Unemployment is still in a pretty good place. Uh, population has not, or it's continued to grow, it's not shrunk in the way a lot of other places are. Our tax environment's pretty good. I mean, he can make a lot of arguments about why he is somebody who deserves to be in an elected office.
0: Our guest in the program today is our good friend, Andy Downs, uh, emeritus of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics up at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. And so we're just kind of getting caught up on the Indiana sort of political landscape with our good friend, Mr. Downs. Uh, Andy, uh, let's, talk, let's say uh, Jim Banks runs for uh, the U.S. Senate, Victoria Sparks runs for the U.S. Senate. Uh, what does that do for their respective districts? And Or, or should we just say, hey, anybody in the 3rd District or 5th District who's not running, take a step forward? <laughs>
1: That might be the way to describe it. I mean, we're talking about two really safe districts at this point, and that means anybody—state reps, state senators, county commissioners, mayors—all kinds of people could jump into that race and legitimately have a block of voters who go with them. I'll—I'll uh, I'll use uh, this area up here. Obviously, I'm a little f- more familiar with the third. Uh, but if, say, a city council at large member from Fort Wayne or a county commissioner from Allen County were to say, I'm jumping in, they're coming from the county where they won or the city where they won with the largest percentage of the vote, too. So they could really make a case for being the next member of Congress and already bring a constituency with them that that gives them a significant advantage But what gets interesting here for me, not only is that everybody could be in there because we're talking about open seats, but some of the people who jump in may not be on the ballot for something else. In other words, if a state senator was elected in 22, their name is not on the ballot in 24. So if they lose in 24, they still get to be a state senator. But if they win, then suddenly their seat is open and a caucus is used to fill that open seat which creates a, another part of the geometry we're looking at here, trying to figure out the, the pieces that puzzle with all the same color pieces.
0: And my friend, it's, it's interesting, too. Uh, I recently wrote a column for the IBJ on ranked choice voting, uh, which they use up in Alaska and, and several other places. Like, you know what, maybe ranked choice voting isn't necessarily a bad idea in Indiana, looking at uh, sort of the, the phone book ballots we're going to be looking at uh, in the next couple of years.
1: When you when you look at the number of races where we have lots of people and people winning without 50 percent rank choice starts to make a lot of sense or doing even a runoff like they do in Georgia. Um, There are a significant number of races, though, that are uncontested. We've talked about this before. In 22, about 40 percent of the races for state legislature were uncontested. And in a handful of other ones, the second party was not one of the two major parties. It was actually the libertarians. So you could – some people would say those go into the uncontested category as well. I think that's uh, disrespectful to the libertarians, but some people would say that. So we're talking about using a mechanism that has its greatest utility in a small number of races – which is an argument some people will use for not going with it, even though it helps to make sure that the person who is actually nominated or winning is the person who has the majority of support. uh, Some people would say, well, why should we mess up a system that works so well already? There are just a couple of instances when we have these, you know, cast of thousands running. And even then, sometimes somebody emerges as the front runner.
0: And it's interesting you bring that up because, uh, just just to remind people what ranked choice voting is, it basically means you have more than several candidates on the list. You basically pick your top four in the order of one, two, three, four. And if your person doesn't come in first, if your first vote drops off, then you go to your second choice, your third choice, your fourth choice, which is how you end up getting uh, Lisa Murkowski as a re-elected senator of Alaska and also uh, Patola, I'm getting her name correctly here, uh, as a congressperson uh, from the same state, a, a moderate Republican and a moderate Democrat.
1: Yeah, and the, the, one of the first times I ever watched ranked choice happening was for a mayor's race out in Oakland. I had a friend who was living out there who kept sending me updates, and this was a while ago. So there were like daily updates as they had to, in some respects, almost manually go back and find who your second choice was. So, for example, if I voted and the person I put in first place actually was in last place, well, then they would – when they recalculated, they go look at who I had in second place, and then that person would get another vote from me. Uh, that takes a long time. It's not something that just sort of happens magically. It takes a while. And so she was sending me updates on a regular basis. What was interesting, though, is that the person who was the front runner on election day did not end up winning. In fact, he was in first place through everything but the final counting. And the reason he wasn't is because there were never really 50 percent of the people who said he's our guy. Instead, what kept happening is the person in second place uh, was everybody's sort of second favorite or third favorite or fourth favorite. And the guy who was in first place was nobody's second favorite. He was nobody's third favorite. He had his block of voters and in a traditional race, he would have won. But in ranked choice voting did not because he could never get above 50 percent.
0: Our guest on the program today is our good friend Andy Downs, uh, emeritus of the Mike Downs Center for Indian Politics at Purdue University. Before we're just getting caught up on Indiana's uh, sort of political landscape. Uh, Andy, uh, how do you think Donald Trump uh, will fit into uh, all this discussion? He's still relatively popular here uh, in Indiana. Uh, how do you think Trump is going to play here?
1: Well, he's, he's going to play as much as he wants to, I think. For me, the question is, uh, will he... Uh, Will he choose to step out if things don't look good for him? Uh, What he knows is that 30 to 40 percent of the vote of the Republican base that's his is still his right now. And he knows that in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, et cetera, et cetera, if he's able to hold on to that, he's always going to be in the top two or three candidates. And he could wait people out uh, and, and end up getting the nomination sort of the way he did in 2016. If he chooses to do that, then obviously he's a much bigger figure in 24 here than if he doesn't. If instead he says, well, I'm going to drop out and put my emphasis into something else, whatever that something else is, there's no doubt he'll continue to travel the country and speak to crowds that are favorable to him and try to influence who gets elected because, you know, being a kingmaker is a pretty impressive thing. This is a state where he won't have to worry about the general election, probably, but maybe the primary. And it's a late primary. So he could have made his decisions about 24 many months before our primary comes up. So he could be here as a kingmaker. He could be here because he's looking to help out somebody who will then be a senator when he's president. Either way, I think it's quite likely he will be here unless he completely checks out. So he'll play a role in 24 The question is whether it will be as a candidate uh, Trump or Kingmaker Trump.
0: And it's interesting to read that up because particularly for the U.S. Senate, I know Trump is a big fan of Jim Banks as well as Victoria Sparks. Yeah, he
1: occasionally has to make decisions, (laughs) as as we all do. You know, this is not Thanksgiving. You can't have a piece of both pies. You've got to pick one or the other. Uh, And, uh, you know, what he quite often does is then not speak or throws his support in rather late After the picture sort of cleared itself up, Uh, he's been he's been pretty good at picking winners in primaries. His 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 general election record is not nearly as good. Uh, We would have to wait and see here. Clearly, Banks has been more vocal uh, and his attempt at getting into leadership was built very much on his support of uh, former president. So if if he were to force himself to make a pick, he might go with Banks. But, you know, he he can read a poll as well as anybody. And if it looked like Sparks was going to win, I don't know that he would throw his support behind banks if it wasn't going to make a difference.
0: So, my friend, let me ask you uh, over the over the course of the the next couple of years, what what are you going to be paying attention to? What's going to be uh, obviously two years is a lifetime in politics, uh, but it makes multiple lifetimes in politics. What 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 are you going to be paying attention to over over the course of 2023?
1: Well, for me, it starts with the legislative session. You know, we're ending up we have we have. Uh, uh, money in reserves here that were not anticipated by any stretch of the imagination. And I know some legislators are tempering everyone's desire to go out and spend like drunken sailors and others are saying, wait a minute, this is money that we can use for a lot of very specific purposes. So the way the budget gets crafted, how that, how that surplus gets used is going to be interesting because in addition to people saying let's go out and spend it to you know, build more roads or bridges or find ways to hire teachers or police officers, there will be people who will say, no, let's give it back to the taxpayers. So it will be interesting to watch that discussion. And then for me, that session ends right before we have uh, city municipality uh, primaries. And I know if you don't live in a city, a lot of people don't pay attention to those. But we have some interesting races that are shaping up, including the one down there in Indianapolis for the Democratic nomination for mayor.
0: All right. Well, our guest in the program today has been our good friend Andy Downs, the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics Emeritus. Andrew, my friend, is always, always good to chat with you. Thank you very much for being with us, old friend.
1: It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me.